With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey. You ready? You grab that right there. Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad hey. ready? We came here to see Jeff. What you got? Okay, hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clapback Clock Show. Uh, Tom, how are you doing? I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, I want to thank uh, Hithliday and Arden for filling in for me while I was sick. Uh, you guys did an awesome job. And uh, I hope to return the favor sometime soon. Yeah, they did a very good job for us, uh, particularly on last-minute notice. Yeah, I came down with strep throat and a sinus infection. Mm-hmm. Not, not fun. And that has to suck. And blow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my weekend was pretty much full of uh, football. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I didn't get sick. It's another victory podcast for us Duck fans. As Oregon defeated Arizona 34-6, largely a defensive domination with a few uh, plays here and there for the offense. Oh, man, but those plays. Yeah. Those plays, (laughs) though, man, it was incredible. Um, The second play from scrimmage was a busted coverage pass to Johnny Johnson the third. And I just I, I saw it up as soon as the the defensive back turned to look back towards the line of scrimmage. I knew that he was going to be wide open. Yeah. Herbert kind of looked him off a little bit, and then just mm-hmm. threw a gorgeous ball. And I thought to myself, "Please just catch it! Please just catch it! If he catches the ball, it's a touchdown." Even though he yeah. was about twenty five, thirty yards from the end zone, but man, he yeah. caught it. It was gorgeous. And then after that, that just kind of set the tone of the game, Oregon. Said mm-hmm. this is going to be our game. We're going to play our game our way, and there's very little that Arizona could do to stop them after that. Yeah, Arizona's uh, Arizona's defense they they were pretty good for like a half or maybe three quarters until they just gave up. It definitely it definitely threw the Ducks for a surprise on the defense that they're running. That double reverse flea flicker was nuts. They they started that, yes. and I'm like, what are you doing running the end around again? They're going to stop it. But then it, it went back to Herbert, and I thought, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, are they going to do it? Everybody was wide open. Everybody bit on the on the, the reverse, and, man, the entire stadium. I've, I've been to many, many, many Ducks games in my life, and I've never heard the stadium as loud as it was on that play. Uh, the guy I was going with, John, was so excited. He 
turned to me and picked me up in excitement and I nearly kicked the woman next to me and oh. <laughs> in in my in my excitement I turned around and and I, I I said that was amazing and I'm sorry for almost kicking you and she just said no no it was fine it was totally worth it and <laughs> uh, the Arizona fans that were behind us uh, were also just saying that was incredible. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It was it was the most impressive play I've seen probably all year. Yeah, uh, Oregon's offense is basically a couple of plays here and there. Then Arizona can stop it, and thankfully we had uh, thankfully the big body receivers came into play, such as Spencer Webb and Jawan Johnson. Yeah, Webb uh, had, a, had a few big catches. Uh, he also had a couple of drops. Um, John Johnson definitely did make his presence known. Big Six is, a, is his nickname in the locker room. Found out today. Yeah, Big Six. Big Six is gonna is, needs to be Big Hero Six with Micah Pittman out with yeah. his, his wrist injury. I was right there at that end zone when that happened, and you could practically hear it snap. And I think he's out for like six weeks. Yeah, uh, Mario Cristobal in his uh, post-game presser, well, post-game presser on Monday said that he was going to be out for six weeks, which places Pittman's return in the middle of December during bowl preparations. And so we'll see if he plays again this season Hopefully. in the playoff or any or in any bowl, rather. But we'll see. Cristobal says that he's a quick healer, so... I don't know. We'll see that if he comes back or not. But he's not eligible for a redshirt because he's played in six games this season, and the rule is four games. Yeah. So uh, it was part one of the battle of battle for Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. So the upcoming game against Arizona State is going to be pretty important, I think. Uh, yeah. For yeah. for more than one reason, because uh, that would give yeah. us a uh, if we we lose that game, it gives us a transitive loss to Oregon State, and we just can't have that. Yeah, no, we can't. And also, Arizona State is similarly poor on defense as Arizona was. If you read my analytics article from this past week, it was that uh, Arizona's defense was horrifically bad. And they were, I believe they were 125th in, in the country in the FBS. That's not good. Out of 130, 130 teams. So that's not really good. It's no. not good at all. So we'll see how Arizona State's defense can do a little bit better than Arizona's defense. Uh, just to just to give some perspective there, what other teams are around Arizona State in their defensive ranking? What kind of what teams what teams are we comparing them to here? I haven't looked at the rankings myself too closely, so probably probably the lower tiers of the ACC and Big Ten, or like the upper tier of the ACC Coastal, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> The ACC Coastal is always an adventure, I'll say. Yeah, I think the Ducks defense will have their hands full with um with their Arizona State's receivers, such as Brandon Ayuk, who I believe is the most improved senior receiver this season. So, and he's accepted his invite to the Senior Bowl as a result. And uh, Arizona State has another receiver, Kyle really Williams, and Frank Darby, who's a junior. So plus. I believe the second most talented running back in the conference, Eno Benjamin. So it's going to be a battle, I think. My conversation with Brady Vernon from House of Sparky, um, he was saying that everybody was really excited about Eno Benjamin coming into the season being mm -hmm. like the linchpin to the offense. Everybody's really surprised that Brandon Ayuk has taken as many strides as he has. Yeah. Um, he would say that probably um, 
Ayuk is probably even going to be the uh, the higher drafted Arizona State player this year over you know mm-hmm. or over any of the other offensive weapons. Arizona State also has a lineman, offensive lineman, Cole Carbral. He's a center for them, and he's invited. He's accepted his invitation to the East West Shrine game, so that's pretty good. Yeah, one of the things that Arizona State uh, has both going for them and against them. Uh, is their youth. Uh, we talked about like invites to the Senior Bowl and uh, invites to all of these uh, pre-draft exhibition games. And Arizona State's probably not going to have many of them just because uh, Herm Edwards has this philosophy of the best player is going to play. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. But if you were already at Arizona State and were counting on some level of seniority to help you, uh, you probably transferred. Um, and so I think that their starting left tackle, right tackle, mm-hmm. is a true freshman and only started playing football as a junior in high school. <laughs> so uh, they're probably <laughs> not going to see very many uh, draft prospects on the field this weekend on the Arizona State side of the ball. But give it a couple years. Um, they've got a few uh, exciting players coming down the pipeline. And if you want to know who those are, Let's go back and listen to the Arizona State Brady Vernon House of Sparky podcast bonus episode. Yeah. And also, there's another one, their cornerback, Chase Lucas. Uh, we'll get into him later as we talk about their previous game, <laughs> which didn't end too well for them. But uh, so I think the Arizona, I think Oregon will dominate defensively against Arizona State's uh, somewhat poor offensive line. So we'll see how that turns out this Saturday in in the desert. It's a primetime game, believe it or not, on ABC. So they'll be sending their their first string crew of um, Kirk Street and Chris Fowler and Maria Taylor working the sidelines. So hopefully Oregon puts on a show for the playoff committee. And all of the uh, all the recruits that are going to be watching, um, I saw mm-hmm. that uh, that Sean Dollars and Dakota Seven have been putting out a pretty decent social media campaign to try to recruit players to to Oregon and I think that even uh, Dakota 7 was uh, a big part of why we just got that big three-star defensive tackle that's a flop from South Carolina North Carolina State no it was North Carolina State we'll we'll get into all the recruiting talk later on in the show Arizona State likes to keep it in one possession every game in this year, it seems like. So yeah, every game they've played has either been a win or lost by one possession. So if we score a lot of points, they'll probably score a lot of points. If we can't seem to score a lot of points, it's probably going to turn out to look a lot like the Cal game. And mm-hmm. I don't want to go through that again. Joseph, no. don't make me go through that again. <laughs> I'll tell Cristobal not to do that to you. Don't do that. No. no. <laughs> yeah, that, I believe that wraps up our preview of Arizona State. Uh, please watch out for our, the preview articles that are going to come on, on Addicted to Quack later on this week, Thursday and Friday. So on to our Pac-12 review of last weekend. One game that stood out to me was Arizona State and Oregon State. And yeah, Arizona State lost by a single point because at the end they scored a touchdown. But they went for two, and they failed to convert on the craziest play. So Oregon State ended up winning. It's hard for me to believe. 35 or 34. Hard for me to believe that that play was actually drawn up that way. 
it seemed like yeah. a busted play and Eno just panicking and seeing that he's not going to get go anywhere, throw the ball into the end zone and hope somebody catches it. That was their best play. They should just kick the extra point and went to overtime. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me in this game, the edge rusher, Hamaklaw Rashid Jr., had, gave, had two sacks in the game, giving a total of 14, which is a Oregon State school record. Congrats on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I, Isaiah Hodgins, their star receiver this year, he he balled out and he made the Arizona Arizona State defensive backs look like crazy, look like freshmen. Yeah, I believe he's one of the better receivers in the conference this year. That that uh, that doesn't go to USC. So. Oh, absolutely. Or even even then, it's like a bit of yeah. an argument. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, that bright spot in an otherwise historically dim mm-hmm. Oregon State football team. Oregon State's going to be going to be uh not laughably bad for a while, I'll say. No. Yeah, Oregon State might give uh, Oregon a pretty good game throughout in the Civil War, but we'll see when it comes to that. I mean, they only need one more win to be ball eligible. Yeah. And next week they play Washington State, which is, I don't know, We'll get into that later, but I think it's a coin flip. Um, so they could be playing for playing with a little bit of umph, a little bit of uh, gumption when it comes to the Civil War. Yeah, and another game that stood out to me was uh, by the scoreline, which was USC and Cal, and USC just completely dominated Cal because the Cal can do anything on offense. So it was yeah. pretty open and shut. Uh, Cal came out looking okay um, yeah. until. Until Gabers left and yeah. Monster had to come in again. And then they just buttered is probably the best thing I could say about it. Yeah, um, it was a late game as well. So everyone pretty much turned it off by halftime. Yeah, I think Keaton Slovis had almost 400 yards and four touchdowns by the third quarter. Cal had a number of injuries on defense. Um, and USC just was going to come out and score at will like they they tend to do. So they got good USC instead of the bad one. I'm pretty sure that even if they got mediocre USC, it probably wouldn't have been a yeah. much different story. Yeah. So this is uh, Slovis' third 400-yard game this year. Um, mm-hmm. Does this cement him as next year's starting quarterback at USC, or do we see some uh, some transfer portal, act, portal action? What do you think, Joseph? I think uh, I think Daniels uh, go, goes to the portal after the spring. Okay. Yeah, because I don't see Daniels getting his job back to Slovis the way he's played this year, barring injury. I agree. They're, they're going to lose a ton next year offensively, so we'll see how that works out. Did you, uh, did you do any yard work uh, this week, Joseph? I did not. Because I watched a wood chipper of a game UCLA mm-hmm. and Utah. Yeah, off-brand Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, UCLA lost 81 yards on mm-hmm. sacks and tackles for loss. They lost nearly an entire football field's worth of yardage just on on sacks and tackles in the backfield. Um, yeah, Utah's defense is for real. <laughs> I mean, and, and we knew that going in. Having that stat come from a Chip Kelly coached team is what surprised mm-hmm. me the most. Um, I think UCLA probably 
could have even been in this game a little bit more if they weren't plagued by all those turnovers. I think they had five total turnovers. Um, when uh, when your team puts up season high numbers uh, this late in the season, uh, you you you're doing something pretty special. Uh, and Utah had season high numbers in both sacks and turnovers against UCLA. Yeah, they also had a fat guy scoop and score touchdown. So yes, yeah. a Heisman candidate moment. Uh, and UCLA looked looked great the first quarter. Um, it's almost like they they gave all that they had way too soon, and then Utah mm-hmm. just took over the game, and it just got too far out of hand too quickly. So there weren't and there weren't many interesting Pac-12 games this week, uh, this past weekend. Only mainly those three, and because most uh, some of the other schools had bye weeks, I believe, so it's mm-hmm. limited to the Pac-12 action. That was watchable anyway. So some of the more national games were intriguing, especially Thursday night's game, uh, aka the Pitt Super Weapon against uh, North Carolina. Oh wait, is that is that an ACC Coastal game? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch so, that. It it got really crazy. So. Pitt actually won in overtime, thirty-four to twenty-seven. Yeah, the Pitt super weapon is fully charged for the ACC Coastal run. Yeah, I, I, I looked into this game. I'm not gonna lie. I, I do watch ACC Coastal games, but it's just so much fun to make fun of them. Pitt kind of looked like it played a little bit of a, a little bit of Oregon ball, where mm-hmm. they, they get up big and then take their foot off the gas and just forgot to, to start it up again. Yep. I would say that. Pitt didn't win this game as much as they didn't not lose this game. Yeah, speaking of Pitt, Cal, uh, I think, borrowed their uniforms for a weekend because they looked remarkably similar. <laughs> they did. It yeah. was hard to, to, to tell which team was, was on the field at the during the Cal-USC mm-hmm. game. At least there were their own school That's, colors, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Pitt uniforms this year have been really good. I haven't noticed anything that stands out one way or the other, but I mean, they're usually decent. Yeah. So that's enough talk about the uh, horrible ACC Coastal, which pretty much, pretty much four teams are still in it going to the stretch run. So we'll see how that turns out. I think they should just flip a coin and see who wins and who gets to be beat by six touchdowns by Clemson. Right. On to the biggest game of the weekend, uh, Georgia and Auburn. Yeah, this was my game of the week going yeah. into it because of I know what Auburn can do when Auburn does what Auburn does. Um, if anybody has read the Banner Society uh, read option emails this week, they did a great piece on how Auburn just ruins everything, whether yeah. it's by winning or by losing, they just ruin everything. Like and subscribe, uh, Banner Society uh, read option newsletter. I'll tweet out the the link for that, but. They did not cause the chaos that we as Oregon fans were expecting or hoping for. No. Yeah, Georgia's defense just dominated Auburn. And Auburn made it interesting really late, but uh, which they failed to get an onside kick on. But Georgia lar- largely dominated this one with they their did. defense. Yeah. This game wasn't as close as the score would lead you to no. believe. Um, the fans were leaving the stadium in droves at the end of the third quarter and then it was only 21-0 at that point Auburn did try to mount a comeback but it was too little too late Georgia won the game 
and Jake Fromm only had to throw 110 yards. Yeah. On 13 completions. Fromm's not a legitimate NFL quarterback physically, so I'll, uh, that's a that's for another article for another day. Also, also a big shout out to the uh, to the young lady that was a student photographer. I believe she's doing a lot better now, and it could have been a lot worse. And, and she only she has a concussion and a few uh, a few bruises, but it could have been a lot worse if you guys saw that hit that she took on the sideline, and it was a. Uh, it got really scary there for a moment because she was knocked out unconscious and they had a stretcher stretcher for her to take to the hospital and um I'm glad that she's doing well. Yeah, it's a it's a scary game out there. You have to stay on your toes. Yeah. I know a few friends that have been sideline photographers and reporters and they've yeah. they've had some pretty close calls themselves and this is probably the worst I've seen uh by far. Yeah. But yeah, just stay vigilant out there, guys. Also, her name is Chamberlain Smith, so please give her a follow on Twitter. She's she's being a good sport about it. So, yeah, we're all glad that she's healthy. So the other game of the weekend was uh, Minnesota and Iowa, and the Hawkeyes did the did the home team in November thing where they usually do and uh, upset the apple cart, so to speak. <laughs> the Floyd of Rosedale stays in yeah. Iowa. Probably the, yeah. one of the most fun rivalry trophies in all of college football. Yeah, and it's a it's a bronze pig. It used to be a live pig, but uh, yeah, Iowa just pretty much dominated Minnesota, and Minnesota just made it a game of it late. But it was Iowa's win the whole way. Yeah, this was my my show notes for this. Say, uh, down goes Frazier. Minnesota came in with a lot of momentum and a lot of swagger after beating Penn State. And just came in thinking they were the talk of the town, the cock of the roost, and uh, kind of got humbled a bit. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what they do the rest of their schedule. They have, don't have a very easy schedule the rest of the, the, uh, the year. Kind of rooting for them, just because it's Minnesota, and it's fun to see yeah. the smaller program succeed. And it's, it's, it's P.J. Fleck which is he's got a, a great story and he's really easy to root for. Um, I think that they've got a really good shot at losing the Big Ten championship game, at least. Uh-huh. It should put them in the Rose Bowl, which would be fun and exciting. Um, yeah, back to the game. Um, this, was, this was a hashtag college kicker game, if I've ever seen one. Um, yeah, because I mean, <laughs> Minnesota's they, kicker wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't good. <laughs> no, they. If he would have just made the field goal and the extra point, the game would have been tied. Um, yeah, and it wasn't a, a very long field goal, and it was a pretty horrible miss of an extra punt, an extra point. I don't know. It's also hard to to, to kind of give him that credit because Iowa looked like they were in control of the game the entire time, and Minnesota just came back, tried to mount a comeback, uh, much like Auburn did. Um, you had to come down to a to an onside kick. Uh, Stephen Godfrey has this theory that if you go into Iowa, you immediately turn into Iowa, and you have to out Iowa Iowa in <laughs> yeah, Iowa it's a... to beat Iowa. Um, and Minnesota could not beat Iowa at being Iowa in Iowa. No, it's it's the toughest thing to do in all of college sports. Uh, November Kinnick games is not fun. I'll say, <laughs> yeah. Also, the coolest tradition in sports now is the Kinnick Wave. 
the Kinnick where the wave. where everybody involved turns around to the hospital that's overlooking the stadium and waves to the kids. So that's that's really the coolest tradition that's been new. Yeah, not, not you can't really say that very often these days. Like, yeah. Oh man, it's a really cool yeah. new tradition. I can't think of any yeah. off the top of my head, um, except for maybe shout. Yeah, for you, for y'all that who don't know about the Kinnick Wave, it's where there's a children's cancer hospital overlooking Kinnick Stadium, where everybody, the fans, the players on both teams, turn around to the to the hospital and wave to the kids as a as a support thing for them. So it's awesome to see every weekend. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Can we we talk about the other game now? Yeah, uh, Oklahoma and Baylor. Oklahoma Baylor and Baylor. Oh man, this was this ended up. Baylor being... had it right in their grasp. Yeah. Oh man, Baylor came out. Baylor came out firing on all cylinders, and Oklahoma just stormed back on them in the second half. Baylor cooged it. Yeah. Oh they, man, did they, they coog it? it. The uh, yeah. uh, the win percentage probability graph looks like an inverted bell curve. It starts out yeah. with Oklahoma at like a 60% win percentage and then takes a nosedive. And Oklahoma, uh, Baylor actually gets down to a 92.5% win percentage. Mm-hmm. And then they just piss it all away. Also, 28-3 to 3 is the worst lead in sports history. It Don't is, ever take that lead. If ever you have a 28-3 to 3 lead, yeah. just leave the stadium. Just yeah. shake hands at midfield at that point and say good game and go home because nothing good happens after a 28 to 3 lead. Yeah. When you score after being up 21 to nothing, go for two. So it can be 29 to 3 or something. <laughs> Just don't score 28. One of the things that yeah. uh, I didn't realize uh, until um, I was probably halfway through the first quarter is that CD Lamb didn't play this game. He was a, a, a game time decision. Uh, late scratch was um, warming yeah. up on the side of the field and just didn't feel right. Um, and that's probably a big reason why Oklahoma was struggling late was because they didn't have their, um, I'd probably say, most talented player that is not a quarterback mm-hmm. in, in NCAA on the field. But they kind of, uh, they, they balanced that out with, uh, with Mims kind of leaving the game for a good period of time with a little bit of a heel injury, I believe. And one of the things that uh, yeah. really stuck out to me uh, in the the tail of the tape, as it were, um, Oklahoma had 200 more offensive yards and 16 more first downs than Baylor and still only won by three points. Yeah, another game, Big 12 game and Big 12 shootout was in early in the afternoon was uh, Texas Tech and TCU. It was a shootout all the way through. And um, yeah, there were some there were some bonkers plays in that one where teams, both teams missed extra points and two point conversions. So 
Yeah, it was a classic Big 12 shootout. Uh, what stood out the most to you in this game? Uh, the play calling for TCU on offense wasn't that bright, I'll say. How come? Because uh, the quarterback act like uh, he acted like as a true freshman making his first start, pretty much. Mm, so not so much a Jet Duffy as it is a a prop plane Duffy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Jalen Rager is still one of the fastest receivers in the country. And also, their running back uh, for TCU is uh, we'll we'll get into that game later on. But um, yeah, their running back core will be playing in a couple of All Star events at the off season, so we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah, that wraps up our national review segment. On to our preview of the Pac-12 for the weekend. Check me out. There's a couple of big games in there. There, there are a few. Lots of lots of Pac-12 after dark this weekend. Um, I don't know if yeah. that has how much the time change itself has to do with it, but um, I have a Pac-12 After Dark Part One, a part Pac-12 After Dark Part Two A, and a Pac-12 After Dark Part Two B. The first one up is a uh, Cal versus Stanford in their annual annual rivalry game, the big game. The band is and on the field. The band. The band is yeah, on the, the field. Yeah, the band is on the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Stanford is uh, starting Davis Davis Miles, I believe it is. So it's not KJ Costello, their usual starting quarterback. So it's going to be interesting against Cal's defense that was recently savaged by the Trojans' offense from last week. So we'll see how that works out for them. That's putting it kindly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is kind of another battle of the backups because um, – yeah. Gabers probably is going to be kept out uh, just for for precautionary reasons, if anything. Um, and Monster has proven that he really can't run the offense. So I don't know uh, how exciting this game is going to be. Um, there's uh, there's a phrase that that uh, my old uncle Nate used to use. Uh, he said, "Be kind of like watching slugs hump." <laughs> so between all the the injuries and apparent ineptitude on Stanford's behalf and the poor defense and uh, and poor play management on Cal's end, um, I would probably advise you to try to watch another game. Yeah, such as uh, the battle for the Pac-12 South that's going to be raging on this weekend, namely the battle for the victory bell, uh, USC and UCLA. That will USC USC needs a win to stay alive in the in the race, and they need Utah to lose out. I don't believe that'll happen, but USC has a pretty good chance of beating UCLA. But it's a rivalry game, so you never know. That will indeed be a much better game. Uh, Chip Kelly always yeah. plays USC uh, really tight. Um, I think they won last year. For one, um, that was one of their only three victories UCLA had last year. And then the year before that, um, they they only lost by one score to the then number 11 USC. My big question going into this game is, can USC contain Joshua Kelly? Um, we were able to run all over him. And uh, as you said in one of your previous articles, that Joshua Kelly is the best running back in the Pac-12. And so it'll be interesting to see how Chip uh, utilizes the, the run game and his creative yeah. play calling and eye for mismatches um, to exploit that on USC's side. I, and to see how US, UCLA uh, tries to manage USC's uh, explosive defense or explosive offense 
there's going to be a lot of points. There are going to be a lot of points by both teams or a lot of points by USC, but there will be a lot of points. Yep, and I believe USC's edge defender, Christian Richter, is out for the first half of this game due he to in a, a stupid targeting call. But, you know, hashtag Pac-12 refs. It was really, it was a really bad targeting call. They call on him, and it, I believe it wasn't targeting. But I believe they will miss him against Joshua Kelly. So we'll see. They need their, all the help they can get up in that front seven. Yeah. <laughs> the other game we re- briefly referenced is Utah against Arizona, and it's a Pac-12 after dark game. So um, we'll see what happens in the desert at night. Murder? Murder happens in the <laughs> oh. desert at night. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, I think Utah Utah handily wins this one, I think. Utah is favored by more than half of the over-under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last I checked, um, Utah was favored by 23 and a half, and the over-under is 55. Yeah, Arizona already has a banged-up offensive line as it is, and against one of the best defenses in the conference, uh, that's not a good formula, I'll say. Uh, There's another interesting Pac-12 game, uh, Washington and Colorado. You know, it used to be really interesting. So I had this game circled at the beginning of the year as a game that would determine who won the Pac-12 north and or south. Um, if Colorado wins, then they would secure the Pac-12 South. And if Washington wins, they would secure the Pac-12 North. Things have since uh, taken a little bit of a turn since then. This is my Pac-12 game of the week, honestly, still. Uh, I think that both of these teams coming off of a bye week, especially with Colorado having a lot of their key offensive and defensive players uh, recovered from some nagging injuries that they were having. Um, Colorado still could win this game um and yeah i i could see this game going either way yeah if you were to hold a gun In to Colorado. my head, i would say washington yeah. takes it depending on which eason shows up this isn't a gimme game for washington i'll say that yeah and colorado has been getting a lot of recruits lately so it yeah. won't impact this game this year but next year it might impact them yeah colorado's on the right track i believe so on to the national preview for the weekend, um, there are, there's one big game that will define the playoff race, I believe. So that's uh, Penn State and Ohio State. Game of the week for me, yeah. nationally. Yeah, um, it's the big new Saturday game. The, uh, the winner of this game probably plays in the, na- in the, the playoff. For me, it's going to come down to the battle of the initials. Who has the better game, JK or KJ? If J.K. Yeah, Dobbins can Penn find State a rhythm has, yeah. and get over the hump and be able to to weave in and out of the pretty stout Penn State defense, that's going to be or on a, or Ohio State winning this game. And uh, Penn State needs to find creative and frequent ways to get K.J. Hamler the football. Yeah, and uh, K.J. Hamler is one of the most dynamic receivers in college football this year. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he's eligible to go pro if he wants to. And Penn State on defense has their top edge rusher, Yator Gross Matos. He's one of the best edge rushers on my board. And a sophomore linebacker named Micah Parsons, he's doing pretty well this year as well. So he's expecting him to get a lot of draft love next year when he's eligible. LBU. 
Yeah. And Ohio State has a number of prospects this year, as they usually do. Yeah, Chase Young is is back for this game after a brief suspension due to NCAA rules. So he's arguably the best pass rusher on, on the board. So he's going to be a top five pick, and that's a lock, and you can take that to the bank. Well, yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Tua out, I think that that actually kind of cements him as the number one now, don't you think? Yeah. We'll see. It's just the quarterbacks will go up high, I believe. So, and also they have a corner, Jeffrey Okuda. He's uh, he's CB one on my board, and it's not even close. And their trio of receivers, uh, Benjamin Victor Hill, and Chris Olave. KJ Hill. So we're gonna have KJ yeah. versus KJ on the wide receivers. Yeah. So the KJ battle. KJ, KJ, and JK. Yeah. <laughs> And J.K. Dobbins, are running back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle, I think, where all the all the NFL teams go to scout that game. So, yeah, I think it's going to be – Ohio State's a favorite by 18 last time I checked, so I don't know if Penn State can compete with them, but Penn State has a defense to do it, so we'll see. And this yeah. game has been close for the past couple of years, and Penn State screwed it up both times by doing something stupid late, so we'll see. And the winner of this game clinches the uh, Big Ten East. So if Penn State wins, they'll pretty much have a – I think they'll have a playoff spot locked down unless the committee says, screw that, so we'll see. I mean, their only loss is to a then-undefeated Minnesota team. So, I mean – that's a that's a not it's a pretty strong argument yeah. for putting them in. Yeah. Especially if they beat mm-hmm. them again in the Big yeah. Ten championship game. Yeah. Uh here's another another uh low on the radar game that I'll keep an eye on back and forth. It's Oklahoma State in West Virginia, namely for the prospects really. And uh because the Chuba Hubbard, he's one of the <laughs> more pro- prolific running backs in the country. That Marcus Arroyo recruited, by the way. And for West Virginia side, they have their offensive lineman, Colton McKivitz. He's going to the senior bowl as well. And they're running back, uh, Kennedy McCoy. So I expect a low, low scoring Big 12, not Big 12 style shootout, maybe a Big 10 game. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially with Tylen Wallace out for this game. Yeah. Um, it'll be hard for Oklahoma State to find a rhythm in the air. They'll probably be leaning on Chuba for most of it. West Virginia uh, is probably going to be playing a little bit more ferocious uh, on this yeah. game because they need another another two wins. They need to win out uh, to gain bowl eligibility. And where Oklahoma State has secured their bowl eligibility and uh, since the Pac-12 championship game has been all but cemented as Oklahoma and Baylor they don't really have anything to play for in this game Mm -hmm. so I would be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if West Virginia snuck out a a little bit of an upset here yeah another uh, classic 330 SEC game is uh, Georgia and Texas A&M so we'll see if Georgia can can um, can avoid the uh, letdown after defeating a huge rival in a big game we'll see against the Aggies who who are kind of rolling, but you know they need they need uh, they need to get things going and can uh, help Oregon tremendously if they upset the dogs. That would be nice. Yes, 
This is definitely the most entertaining game in the 1230 time slot this weekend. I think that Texas A&M has the players, they have the ability, they have the coaches to be able to pull off the textbook Georgia upset in this game. But I think that they're still, they're, they're a little inconsistent. They're, they'd have to, to really jump on, uh, jump on Georgia defensively early and not let them yeah. uh, play their, their small ball. I mean, we saw that against, um, a little bit against Georgia, where, or not against Georgia, against uh, Auburn, where Auburn kind of jumped on Georgia early, um, but then relaxed or lost focus and uh, let a few big plays through. Um, that was my biggest takeaway of the Georgia-Auburn game, is that Georgia only scored on the big plays. I think they like three really big plays that they scored on. And then the rest of the plays, I think were like, I don't know, they barely scored 20 total yards the rest of the plays. Um, so if Texas A&M can keep, do a good job of preventing the big plays going forward, it's going to be a, a, a great game. And I um, think that Kirby's probably a little bit better coach than, than Jimbo Fisher. We'll, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'll definitely be tuning in. Yeah, A&M has a couple of guys that are worth drafting. You know, their defensive tackle, Justin Matabuke, he's been pretty good for them this year. And uh, they have a good set of receivers, a couple anyway, named Corte Davis. And uh, um, I think it's Audubon is the last name, like like the society. <laughs> and uh, Kellen Mond, of course. Yeah, Osbin? and uh, Kellen Mond is Osbin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also their quarterback, Kellen Mond. He he's like the college football version of Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And uh, on field wise, he is physically. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave the off field stuff alone because this this is not the podcast for that. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like he's got a little bit of a. Yeah. Um, I feel like like a little bit of Ben Roethlisberger to him, in my opinion. Yeah. More of a Roethlisberger than he's a Kaepernick, but um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Also, staying in the Lone Star State, uh, we'll have um, Texas and Baylor, and Baylor is ranked number 14th in the country in the playoff rankings today. So Texas is unranked. So Texas needs to pull off the upset for Baylor for Auburn to have a chance to move up which looks good for the Ducks. You know, Texas has a couple of guys that are going to the Senior Bowl, uh, Devin DuVernay, the speedster, and Colin Johnson, the big 6'5 receiver who catches nearly everything. And uh, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, uh, he's a junior. I don't know if he'll come back or stay or come back or grow, go pro. So we'll see. Texas looking to play spoiler. Um, yeah. Do they, do they show up big and, and prove? Do they come up and say, like, no, we're going to play Texas football. We are Texas. Yeah. You know, losing to Iowa State last week took them out of the Big 12 championship picture. But yeah, they need they, a miracle to come back. <laughs> they still and, – and this is a, a first step in, in establishing that miracle. And I feel like they've got a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder. They know we're mm-hmm. – we are Texas football. We can't let uh, first and uh, fourth best college program in the state beat the Texas Longhorns. And Texas has another guy going to the Senior Bowl as well, and Brandon Jones, their safety. So they have a lot of they have a lot of draftable talent. It's just their coaching has been horrible. 
And does Denzel come into this yeah. game, or is he going to stay out with his his injury? I don't know. Uh, we I haven't heard either way, but Denzel Mims is one of the most underrated receivers in this class, and I've been a fan of his since August. So, all right, you got one more uh, game on this uh, on the show notes here, Joseph. You want to take that one? Yes, Oklahoma and TCU. As we mentioned earlier, Oklahoma had to have a big comeback, uh, and they haven't been looking too good defensively. So. We'll see if TCU can score some points on them with a true freshman quarterback and Max Dugan. Every time that I've seen Oklahoma play the last couple of games, whether it was Baylor or whether it was was Baylor or whether it was the close win at Ohio or Iowa State or if it was the loss Mm -hmm. to Kansas State, um, it just kind of seems like that scene from Rocky Four where um, the Russian starts to bleed and they say oh wait he's human and then that's when rocky gets his his inspiration and then just goes after him k-state made them bleed and now everybody is no longer intimidated no longer frightened by them and oklahoma's kind of lost their intimidation factor and tcu just plays fast and loose and now that we have kind of a blueprint they've they've got the 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 stuff to do it especially with cd lamb out that's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oklahoma still has a couple of guys on defense and offense, namely Jalen Hurts, their star quarterback, and and they're, they're, they have another receiver, um, Charles Charles Rambo, the coolest last name in sports. <laughs> Speaking of Sylvester Stallone movies. Yes, and, uh, and also one of the best centers in the country, Creed Humphrey. Speaking, Speaking of, of Sylvester yeah. Stallone movies. <laughs> yeah. And not speaking of Sylvester Stallone movies, they have their tight end, Grant Calcaterra. And defensively, they have Neville Gallimore, who's Canadian, much like Chuba Hubbard, and he's been a standout this year. And their linebacker, Kenneth Murray, and Gallimore's going to a senior bowl, by the way. I think that Kenneth Murray is probably uh, the only reason that Oklahoma just hasn't completely fallen apart. He's yeah. that, that bright spot in the middle of that defense um, that really kind of holds led by a. Their defense is coordinated by a longtime friend of ours, uh, of the Ducks, uh, Alex Grinch. He was a former defensive coordinator for Washington State before going to Oklahoma. You now, if you you pull your tongue in from your cheek, uh, yeah. you could probably it probably won't, won't bite it. And also, TC has a corner named Jeff Gladney. He's going to a Senior Bowl as well, so he's pretty good. So, congrats, Jeff. And Jalen and Jalen Rager also. Who's a junior, and all, as previously previously mentioned, he's um he's one of the fastest receivers in the country, not named uh, Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs. <laughs> and also, TCU has a pair of running backs as well, Sewa Onalua and Darius Anderson. Anderson is going to the East West Shrine game, which is a week before the Senior Bowl, by the way. Where is that? Yeah, it's in Tampa. It's in Tampa in the in the Rays Rays Stadium. Yeah. Baseball stadium, huh? Man. Yeah. Also the site of the uh, high school All-American game for Under Armour. So. And also uh, also Tampa is the site for the Gasparilla Bad Boys Mowers Bowl, which is a, which is a tongue twister. <laughs> Gasparilla Bad Boy Mowers Bowl. Yeah, that wraps up our national preview segment. We have some, uh, we have some duck news that happened over the weekend. Indeed we do. 
Tell us about it, Joseph. Yes, yeah, so plenty of duck news, plenty of basketball-related news. Uh, the women signed the top-ranked class in the country by far for That's the 2020 far. class. It's not even close. I haven't they seen have, anything like this in any sports. Yeah. They have uh, they had they signed five five stars, and all five of them are in the top thirty prospects nationally. So, and no other team comes close to that. So, uh, Coach Graves is uh, lo- reloading pretty well, I would say. I don't even think Gino Oriema had uh, a record that yeah. quite like that. It maybe maybe Duke signing five top thirty five star prospects, but I mean I can't. I can't without doing any meaningful research into it. I can't think of any mm-hmm. program having such a robust and successful recruiting class. That's yeah. really impressive, and it's it's great to see that uh, um, it wasn't just catching lightning in a bottle with uh, Sabrina Ionescu. That like there is this is actually mm-hmm. sustainable and actual viable program that looks like it's got some legs and some umph that we can kind of ride into uh, like. I don't know, maybe a decade of just dominant Oregon Ducks women's basketball. Mm-hmm. And the men, uh, they've been doing pretty well lately. Um, uh, if you read Arden, Arden cover all his articles, you know, Anthony Mathis has been on fire so far this season. He's basically making any any three point he take three pointer shot he, shot he takes. So. I think Francis Okoro is probably beginning to become my favorite player. Yeah. Um, just. He looks like a man amongst boys when he's out there on the the floor. Yeah. Um, he defeated a he defeated a car. So I mean, nothing can defeat him on the court. <laughs> not just any car. A Tesla. He got hit by a Tesla. Yeah. And I've heard that yeah. the Tesla's okay. But yes. <laughs> yeah, every time I see him out there, it's like uh, like watching Patrick Ewing or Greg Oden, or they just have that naturally intimidating countenance. Yeah. Man, it's just so much fun just to watch him insert his will against the opposing defenses and uh the and the coaching staff hasn't even used all the star players they have really it's only been like four or five guys they've relied on so far so the men's team is doing pretty well yeah i'm excited to see how nafali dante is going to fit into all this um he was the one i was looking forward to the most but with uh, with paperwork issues and uh in the enrollment process he's not going to be available until the middle of the Dece- middle of December. Is shipping out to be a really fun uh, Oregon Ducks team to watch. I can also say that it's the same about probably two or three other teams in the Pac-12. Um, I see us handling our off-season or our our pre-conference schedule pretty easily, but I think Washington has got a really great young team. Uh, I think Arizona's got a pretty great team. Colorado is going to be uh, difficult. Um, so we'll see what happens in, in conference play. But I think this is going to be probably a pretty dominant year for the Pac-12 overall. Yeah. Arizona's doing not too bad. So we'll see how the conference turns out. On the football side of things, we recently picked up a commitment from North Carolina defensive tackle, uh, Jalen Smith. He's a three-star recruit. But, um, yeah. He was previously committed to North Carolina State, which is a program known for de- developing their defense alignment for the pros. I tweeted out on the Twitter account, Addicted to Quack Twitter account, said that um, North Carolina State has, they sent uh, they sent four draftable prospects to their postseason All-Star events last year, last draft cycle, and one this year. So they're doing something right. 
their defensive line coach, Kevin Patrick, is one of the best in the country at development. So to take a guy from Carolina is pretty impressive to to for him to go to the West Coast. Yeah, so don't be worried about his uh, three-star ranking. He's more like a four-star if things turned out all right for him. Also, we have a pair of prospects going to the Senior Bowl this year, which is uh, this just came across the wire a couple years ago. Shane uh, Lemieux, the offensive lineman, he's he's accepted his invite. And also, Troy Dye accepted his invite last week. So if Duck fans want to go, they have plenty of reasons to go. <laughs> And you said you found some screaming deals in some hotels for the Senior Bowl. You want to give yeah. us some info on that for those yeah, inquiring minds? A, yeah, I found a couple of hotels near the downtown area, Mobile. There's a couple of hotels in there, really no more than $150 a night for the week, that week. And so if you, if any Duck fans want to go, then they have pretty good cheap deals on downtown Mobile. And rest assured, there will be plenty more, plenty more Ducks going to the event. As we all know, Oregon is sixth in the playoff rankings this week. Not much changed. We need some chaos to happen in the top yeah. six. Boy, do we need some chaos. Yeah, I don't believe it's going to happen this weekend because everybody, everybody important is playing lesser foes, I'll say. The SEC, what is it? The, the SEC SOCON Challenge for the SEC teams yes. to play. <laughs> teams from the Division yeah. Two Southern Conference. So, yeah, I have one more item that I'll save for the end of this show. So okay. that wraps up our new segment. So what are your closing thoughts? Uh, my closing thoughts uh, are kind of around uh, Tua. I mean, that was a, a grotesque injury. Um, I think they were saying it's the same one that ended Bo's career. Uh, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. I think this does hurt his draft stock quite considerably. And with him out, I believe that Alabama is still a playoff-worthy team, although I think that they will struggle mightily to, mm-hmm. to win the championship. Um, with Tua, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that, yeah, Tua slinging the ball and a bunch of offensive weapons and a stout defense. But now they have a guy who's really good at turning around and handing the ball off. Um, and okay at throwing it around the field so it's it's a little bit of a detriment to the program but uh, i wish him well and uh, i look forward to hearing all of the tua versus herbert uh prognostication that's going to happen for several years to come much like uh marcus and winston what are your closing thoughts um my closing thoughts are that um i just recently saw this tweet from uh, pro football focus that the Oregon starting left tackle, Pina Sewell, would have the highest graded offensive tackle season ever in the history of pro football focus. I saw that. That's incredible. Yeah, ever. These are ever. So the names behind them are like either good NFL players or first-round picks. Like who? So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> who else on that list? Um, Right now they have Jack Conklin, a first-round pick of the Tennessee Titans. Cody Whitehair, a line a lineman for Chicago, I believe. Mm-hmm. And another one, Andrew Thomas, he's one of the best tackles this year. So and Lyle Lyle Collins, he's the starting right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. So it's a pretty impressive list he's he's heading. Also, another closing thought is that uh, 
if you if any duck fans are willing to go to the senior bowl and where i'm willing to do we're willing to do a meetup for duck fans yes we are down there in mobile so please come out and show support for your oregon ducks that are looking to further their careers in the pros so and meet your writers and your fellow podcast hosts plus it's a time to get away to the south in the middle of january yes it was significantly warmer <laughs> yeah, i believe that wraps up our show today and uh so go ducks go ducks